Welcome back to the Burning Phoenix podcast. Hope you're having a great morning, a great day. In this episode, we're going to talk about the book The Age of Nihilism by John Strickland. We just finished reading the fourth volume, which is the conclusion of a four-volume work about European Western history of the last 2,000 years from an orthodox perspective. And this last book is very interesting as a critique of several things in the more modernist culture and the last 150 years. I'm going to look at especially two things. One is some of the ideas of Nietzsche about power and then the idea or the critique of this fragmented nature of happiness in the more modern times. So it's a couple of kind of deep dives, but we're going to try to make it practical and then how uh, a major perspective today will also be how this corresponds to Ian McGilchrist and the brain hemispheres, because that really sheds a light on some of the basic assumptions or influences in the culture the last 150, 200 years. And it also gives some practical solutions or suggestions of how to start improving things and rebalancing um, these areas that uh, arguably, likely, it seems like uh, are imbalance and that creates many problems. So we're first going to look at uh, Nietzsche. So this is uh, uh, one of the three main figures in this book that introduces the the age of nihilism. He looks at Wagner and then Nietzsche and then Dostoevsky. But it's very, it's hard not to see how closely Nietzsche is aligned with the excesses of the left hemisphere, as described by Ian McGilchrist. Especially then the, the whole idea of the will to power, which is in itself a hallmark of the left brain hemisphere, control, domination. So we're going to look at what Nietzsche says about this in the book called The Will to Power. This is not a book he wrote in that sense. It's a collection of his writings compiled after he passed away. But it lays out many of his ideas. And the very last, uh, you have 1,067 kind of, uh, paragraphs or, or points that he's, he's laying out. What the editors chose to put as the last one is exactly about the will to power. So we're going to read uh, some, some uh, excerpts from this one. It's, it's, the whole thing is about one page. We're going to read maybe half of it. Uh, so he starts here saying... And do you know what I take the world, in quotation mark, to be? Shall I hold my mirror up to it? The world is a monster of energy, without beginning or end, a fixed and invariable magnitude of energy, no more, no less, which is never expended, merely transformed, of unalterable size as a whole, whose budget is without either expenses or losses, but likewise without gains or earnings, surrounded and bounded by nothingness. So this is an interesting overall framing of Nietzsche's thinking, especially because it has the idea of something in the middle and then nothingness is very much how the left hemisphere operates. It it creates a model of something and then it sees the model and it does not acknowledge anything outside of the model and it does not acknowledge reality either. So you can see this with people who have strokes in the right hemisphere, so only the left hemisphere is working. They tend to, to just uh, 
discard parts of reality around them and say it's not there. Like they can eat half of the plate uh, with the food and then they will insist that the rest of it is not there. So, so this idea of nothingness is very much indicative of a left hemisphere tilt in the thinking. It's also, as an aside, in some ways where you can see the contrast to the more uh, the late medieval cosmology, like as, for example, Dante describes it, where the material world is this kind of uh, swirling within the, the prime mover, the first mover. Uh, it's kind of in... Like it, it's swirling and, and changing and being kind of in the temporal sense, uh, operating and living. And then it's embedded in the eternal living mind of light and love, which is the divine. So that's much more like, almost like you can see it as the right hemisphere embedding the world of the, of the left hemisphere. And that creates a balance. And also, according to brain science, how uh, the brain is supposed to be functioning that the right hemisphere is the overall one and the left one is uh, more of a tool that is used for specific purposes. So you can see how this, this kind of emptiness and sterile, sterile feeling of Nietzsche is indicative of this left hemisphere. Tilt again. Uh, and he keeps going and saying, it is nothing indefinite or dispersed, nothing infinitely extended, but rather a determinate amount of energy set in a determinate space and not a space which will be empty anywhere, but on the contrary, a space everywhere filled with energy, a play of energy and waves of energy simultaneously, the one and the many, waxing here and waning there, an ocean of temptuous and tor <laughs> torrential energies. Uh, he keeps going on. This is kind of almost like an obsessive rant uh, more and more. But towards the end, he says here, it's, and it's all one sentence, <laughs> and then towards the end he says, this, my Dionysian world of eternal self-creation, do you want a name for my world, a solution to all these enigmas, a light for you who are best concealed, strongest, most intrepid, most northerly, most midnightly? The world is the will to power and nothing besides. And even you yourself are this will to power and nothing besides. So that was ends the book. And... Uh, this is, in a sense, just purely left hemisphere uh, apprehension, conclusion about reality. This is, it, it's kind of almost like uncanny how precisely Nietzsche is describing what McGilchrist has discovered through like 30, 40 years of brain research. This is exactly a pure left hemispheric uh, expression of how it actually sees reality and it sees the world. It's about power and also this adding nothing besides. It's this totalitarian categorizing uh, instinct that there's no ambiguity, there's no variation, it's just that and nothing. So that was something that really stood out, just uh, having a reminder through the, reading this book by Strickland about Nietzsche's thinking and his so one of his base assumptions. Uh, there, I know there are arguments about how, what Nietzsche really meant by this, that he's being twisted. But if you just take this page that he wrote, where he states that he is expressing his worldview, it, it really reads like a, a very much left hemispheric take on the world with some, some of these, uh, some of the elements could be something that 
it's, it's almost like an overreach as well with the left hemisphere because it, it brings in some uh, intimations that are kind of right hemispheric, but then there's kind of, they're just grabbed and, and sorted and put into this strict left hemispheric view again. So that's uh, what we wanted to say about Nietzsche. And um, one could wonder if it's time to go through some of these big names, the big philosophers, figures for the last 150, 200 years and just assess their overall thinking, their assumptions, the basis, if it is uh, clearly too tilted towards the left hemisphere. Uh, and then if what McGilchrist is saying is correct, and there's no, there's really no critique so far of his work that disqualifies anything he says. The critique is mostly directed towards the brain science 50 years ago, back in like 1960s, 1970s, because that was a different idea of the this bicameral mind. But that is not the recent brain uh, research on this. So that was the first part with Nietzsche. And the second is also interesting. This is about happiness and the, the lack of happiness in, in the, the modern world and in the culture, especially then framed as kind of in the, uh, within liberalism, the, the culture is just less happy than um, in other times of, of, uh, of history, that, or there's a drive towards less happiness. So we're going to read one quote here from a Polish uh, scholar and politician uh, who experienced a transition from communism to liberalism and he welcomed liberal democracy as the successor to communist totalitarianism. However, in very little time the new, the new order began to resemble the old. And then he wrote a book about this and then we're just going to look at this uh, this one quote about happiness in terms of moments or in terms of the overall your overall life. So the quote is Originally, happiness was a quality that one could attribute to an entire life, not to its episodes or moments. Pursuing happiness meant planning one's entire life so that it had its own moral consistency and internal harmony, both achieved through the incul inculcation of virtues, bringing pleasure to the center of life and gendered a different image of human nature. Human beings, in this view, no longer think of themselves in terms of the whole of their existence, but in terms of moments and episodes. Hence, the life dedicated to the accumulation of pleasures, but lacking an internal unity, will most likely not be a happy life because a human being cannot renounce his unity without negative consequences. So this is interesting both, uh, we can see this through Aristotelian philosophy and also the, the brain hemispheres uh, once again, because seeing the whole of things is how the right brain works. Seeing fragments and bits is how the left brain works. So uh, Aristotle says well, his idea of happiness uh, called an eudaimonia. So eudaimon is in two parts, the etymology corner here. <laughs> you is well, like euphoria, for example. And then daimon is, uh, like a daemon is a spirit. So eudaimonia is the spirit of well-being. And uh, he has one, Aristotle has one quote here, and he says, so this is then 2,400 years ago, more or less. One swallow does not make a summer, nor does one fine day. 
Similarly, one day or brief time of happiness does not make a person entirely happy. This is from the Nicomachean Ethics. So he's saying more or less the same as uh, this writer Legutko is writing in the, in the last few years. Uh, the Aristotelian idea is more like uh, that happiness is a life well lived in accordance with virtue. So um, that's was the second point we wanted to bring up that uh, you can also here see that a, more like a left brain tilt in the culture and then in the individual and the focus on bits of happiness or pleasure uh, is not working. And then you can see like the happiness indexes are falling and the, um, like uh, being melancholic or anxiety and different kind of mental uh, conditions are on the rise. And this is then seemingly very much connected to this fragmentation that comes through a left tilt in the culture. Left-brained tilt. Okay, so just to sum up some of these things then. So some of the problems we're pointing to here is when you look at the brain is that the left brain has a limited understanding of reality. Its main goal is control, domination, certainty and power. And it builds and becomes a hall of mirrors increasingly at odds with reality. And when this happens, this creates tensions and aggression. So aggression is one of uh, most emotion is in your right hemisphere, but aggression is in your left one. So if you poke at people's axioms, they will mostly respond with like disproportionate aggression because that's how the left brain is working. So if you do that, you can you can actually then see that this is the left part of their brain reacting. It's not a balanced reaction; it's a left brain reaction. And then solutions to this could be to balance the brain better. Uh, we had an episode about this earlier. And also having an awareness of the necessity of reigning in the left brain, as is described in more or less all ancient traditions, medieval traditions, all mythologies with the idea of hubris and about pride uh, and, all, and the destruction that ensues and also as then uh, metaphorically the nemesis in the Greek mythology. So uh, final point here for balance, if, just for yourself, if you want to read up about this stuff, how the brain works and how this is reflected in yourself and the culture, uh, if you want to have a, a kind of left brain take on this, mostly you can read McGilchrist, The Master and His Emissary, or you can read Dante's Divine Comedy, and then you can ponder and think about Virgil and Beatrice as, as metaphors, of ex as expressions of the right brain hemisphere and the left brain hemisphere. And this appeals, Dante would appeal more to your right brain or to kind of your balanced and, and unified brain. Okay, so that's all we wanted to say uh, in this first episode, kind of uh, starting to digest the book, The Age of Nihilism by John Strickland. Uh, it's, it's highly recommended. It's very political compared to the first three volumes. So uh, it's, it's helpful to see this as as a perspective, as a coherent critique from a certain perspective. Uh, we don't agree with everything, but but as food for thought and as a starting point for uh, necessary conversation, uh, it's highly recommended. And um, also then again, just uh, keep in mind that some of these things are 
uh, recurring patterns in the in the larger history uh, of of um, humanity, and we can see examples then and expressions of this both in the medieval and the ancient traditions. So with that, hope you're still having a, a great day. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for tuning in. And see you again in the next episode. Thank you.